G'day everyone, welcome back to the Mongrel Punt Podcast. We're rebooting after about nine weeks of no footy, which has been a very, very sad time. It's good to see Mrs. Mongrel here. Haven't spoken to you in about nine weeks. It's been great, I loved it. Uh, yeah. Well, it's about time we reacquainted ourselves with each other. It's been a long, hard road. We, I think we had a couple of chats about bills. Um, maybe some leaking in the window. <laughs> That's about it, really. Yeah. The rest of the time I've been just kind of stomping around and cursing the AFL and cursing, I was going to say Chinese people, but I, I probably wasn't doing that just for the record. <laughs> I was cursing people responsible for viruses. Yeah, I just had headphones on, so didn't hear you anyway. Yep. Yeah, apparently our daughter's been neglected, but <laughs> as long as you guys don't tell child protection, neither will we. Um, you're all drugged up today. Uh, got a bit of a sore back. Oh, yeah. Carrying this podcast all those weeks before we uh, put it on hiatus. Podcast, family. Yeah, bills. the works, bills. Yeah. I've just been bumming around a lot. I've been staring at the ground, kicking kicking the dirt, hands on my hips. Pretty sad time. I mean, we've kept the kept the website ticking over, slowly but surely, kind of getting back into gear now. We've got a few things coming up. And Mrs. Mungrel, standard question. What's the benefits of membership of the Mungrel Punt? I don't know. I haven't looked at it in nine weeks. <laughs> That's right. That's why all those uh, updates are waiting to be done. And yeah. I'm just kind of staring at them, not knowing what to do. We've introduced defensive rankings this year, um, be a members only article. There's also a wingman's rankings because I reckon they get shafted every year in the All-Australian team. I mean, Bont and Tim Kelly made it last year in on the wings in the All-Australian team and played about 15 minutes there for the whole year. So every week, if you're a member of our site, you're going to get the Mungrel Punt power rankings for all players, defensive rankings, wingman rankings, plus early access to the good, bad, ugly game reviews, and additional members' columns during the week. All this for 20 to 40 cents a day. That's the kind of value you're going to get from us. 20 cents to 40 cents worth every day. <laughs> Don't expect any more. No. We might jump into the games, because I've just come off watching the GWS and North Melbourne game, and I'll add a couple more later on. Mrs. Mungle's shaking her head there. Very upset. This is the first year she's done footy tips. And um, now lives and breathes by what's happening in games and who's winning. I believe there were some insults towards North Melbourne today, were there not? I don't like losing, and I don't like being wrong. Well, nobody tipped Gold Coast. Nobody. I if don't they... understand what's happened. I'm very I'm very angry and very put out by this. Yeah. I am that emotional over footy tipping that I think maybe I can't do it next year. See, I, I barrack for Hawthorne. I'm not passionate about North Melbourne, but I do like them, and I thought they'd be good this year. Some of the insults you were throwing at North Melbourne on the couch before, I don't think we can repeat on this without putting a warning up first. I can be a very, very rude and unsavory kind of person. And for your, for the record, they do have some fans, and they're not just a poor <laughs> suburb. <laughs> okay? I said rich suburb. Yeah, I said poor people. No, I didn't. I said filthy rich suburb. I may have called us poor people who can't afford to live there. So we might start with the biggest talking point of the round, which was the Suns knocking over the Eagles, which basically no one saw coming. And I reckon we saw the birth of a young star last night. We saw Matt Rowell, the number one pick this year, who has the incredible ability to turn his whole body red. It's a red-headed kid. Wow, he he looked like a tomato on on the bench. I likened him more to the Red Hulk. Someone else called him the Red Bull. I'm like, ah, oh, it's probably better. You <laughs> bastards, why didn't they think of that? So he's he's got the kind of performance in that game that for an 18-year-old was absolutely phenomenal. His, his ability to stand up in a tackle. This is an 18-year-old kid. At 18, I could, I could barely stand up at all most weekends when I was 18. I spent half of it in bed and the rest of the time drinking. He's, <laughs> I'm he's glad just, I didn't know you. <laughs> Probably still be glad if you didn't know me now. Um, his ability to stand up in the tackle, and these are grown men, 25, 28, 30 year olds tackling him, and they can't bring him down. He stands there, holds his ground, handballs off, and I'm demonstrating to you as as we're talking. What a handball is. And how he just stands, mm, even though I'm stands. sitting. <laughs> but his ability to do that and create for his teammates without losing his feet. Absolutely incredible for a young bloke. He ran at 81% efficiency in pretty slippery conditions where seasoned players, you know, West Coast have got some fantastic ball users. 
Jeez, oh, mention the word ball. I and it just uh, rockets downhill real quick with you, doesn't it? So he, he makes the right decisions. He was really efficient with his ball use. And his, um, his ability to, to make people better around him. Looks like a young Michael Voss. You don't know who that is? Nope. Three-time premiership captain at Brisbane, Brownlow medalist. Really, really strong through the body. I'll say this for you, just for your benefit. Really, really strong through the hips. Love strong hips. Yeah, well, yep. he is. Magic. I mean, not to be outdone, there's a guy who went at number two. Noah Anderson, his name is. And Matt Rowell's going to get all the credit for this win in terms of the young players. But Anderson, really, really good. Ran out the whole game on the wing. Was matched up to Andrew Gaff several times. A couple of times he was, um, was on a guy called Jared Brander. And I reckon he was so much better than Brander. He went forward, kicked a goal, went back, threw himself in the contests. There was a, a minute there in the third quarter. And it was one of those times in a game where you can tell whether a team's going to stand up or get knocked down. West Coast put the pressure on and Gold Coast stood up. It was about a minute to go in the in the second second quarter, I think. And every young player on on the Gold Coast stood up, threw themselves in, continually fought. And the teams fought to a stalemate, but I reckon at that point, West Coast were thinking like, oh shit, these guys are here to play. They've still got guys like um, Sam Flanders, damn Sam Flanders, who hasn't played yet. Isaac Rankin hasn't played. They've re-signed big-name talent, or future big-name talent, like Jack Lacocious, Ben King, Braden Fiorini. They've got Jack Bowes coming through. They're going to lead this club, and all of a sudden, they're looking a lot better than people gave them credit for. Helped by the conditions, yes. I mean, that, that was horrible conditions to play in with a slippery ball. Every time you go to grab it, it's two grabs instead of one. And you're <laughs> smiling at me because these guys are grabbing each other, slippery not balls. each other's balls. Yeah. And they can't get a good grip on them, yeah, you see. You know. So it's like working with a 12 year old yeah. boy. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty much. They, they recruited a bloke named Hugh Greenwood, who's didn't really didn't really get a big chance at. Adelaide Crows to, to show what he could do but his ability to hold on to a tackle here we go again go on smiling and nodding I'm, I'm trying to keep it you know above being a yeah. 15 year old we're professionals I'm trying. so his ability to actually hold on to a guy who's trying to run through and make space and not allow them that, that freedom through the middle he was fantastic in and under all, all night long Sam Day who's copped a lot of criticism over the years for not doing enough copped a massive knee in the kidneys at one point and it was from Jeremy McGovern who isn't the most uh, isn't the softest guy going around if he ran at you and ran into you you're in trouble it's the same sort of hit that's caused people to lose kidneys in the past there's a guy called Tom Lonergan at Geelong who got a knee in the back at one point and had to get his kidney removed Sam Newman same thing when he was younger almost died in the change rooms because they just thought he copped a knock and he was in there and basically they had to rush him to hospital he tells the story that when he can remember being pushed through the double doors at a at the hospital and his mother asking the doctor is he all right and the doctor looked at her and said touch and go so that's the sort of injury i thought he may have incurred he came back on the ground after like five minutes and continued to put himself in harm's way one of the moves not many people have talked about is there's a guy called Tuke miller who they threw on to Tim Kelly at the start of the second half. And I've got some numbers here. Tim Kelly had 16 touches in the first half, and he was clean with the ball every time. Like He was one of the few players on West Coast that would take possession and not double grab, not fumble, and give it off, and actually set them off and running several times. He had eight touches for the rest of the game, and only two of them were effective. So every time he touched the ball after halftime, he had this bloke right next to him whose sole purpose was to basically screw with him and make sure he couldn't get West Coast off and running. It's not just what Miller was able to do in terms of stopping Kelly. He was able to get plenty of the ball himself. They've got blokes like Shuey, Redden and Yo. They're hard at it guys, but I was wondering whether someone was actually going to come in and, and lay a bump or something on Tuke Miller to upset him or get him off his game or try and create some space for Kelly. And it just didn't happen. So Is his first name Tuke? Tuke. T-O-U-K. Is a new favourite for you, of you now? Full of a Tuke. Yes, he's a... Well, I reckon, the, 
I reckon the West Coast coach Adam Simpson was a bit of a fool of a took because he basically allowed this to happen. No one was instructed to go and disrupt Took, the fool of a took Miller, from doing what he was doing. And Tim Kelly was taken right out of the game. If we're looking for positives for West Coast, there's a young bloke called Oscar Allen. A bit grouchy. Oh, uh, terrible. That um, was terrible. Yeah, thanks for that. Um, he was pretty solid for most of the night. The team just does not like playing in the in the dewy conditions, though. So they really struggled. The thing is, they've got two out of the next three games in the evening in Queensland, which basically means they're going to be playing in similar conditions. Unfortunately for them, those two games are against Brisbane, who are well and truly used to it, and Richmond, who love that sort of stuff. The start of the season, I thought West Coast might go through and come out of this 4-1, and one, out of this lockdown period in Queensland. It's looking more like they could be 2-3 and three now without a big change in, in the way they play. So have you got any players that you had your eye on there that you wanted to talk about? I don't know many. What did Pendleton do? He didn't play in this game. He played oh. in another game. This is the West Nick Coast. Nat. <laughs> Nick Nat. Nick Talk Nat. about him. Nick Nat. I thought he won the ruck, but I think he got beaten around the ground, which is, you know, it's a bit of a turn up. I think he's probably a little bit more mobile than the Gold Coast ruckman, Jared Witts, but Jared Witts knuckled down, worked really hard and got more of the ball around the ground. How's his knees? I know I'll ask him when I see him. Well, he didn't hurt them again. Well, that's good. So I guess that he's, um, he'll be okay. Not, not a success, I don't think, uh, this, this week for Nick Nat. I think he got exposed a little bit around the ground and he'll be looking to redeem himself pretty quick. Now, if you want to talk about Lord Pendleton, we can now because we're going to jump backwards in time. Ooh, spooky. <laughs> we're going to jump back in time to the Tigers and Pies, which was on Thursday night. Now, nobody liked this game. It was horrible. There was criticism of the 16-minute quarters. The standard of play was terrible. The more I think about it now, because we've seen some some more free-flowing games than this like markedly since then, I wonder how much of this is put on the, the heads of the coaches. So you've got Damien Hardwick at Mrs. Hardwick's husband yep, at Richmond you. and Nathan Buckley at Collingwood. And both of these teams possess really, really tight, good defences. So if that's a weapon that they want to deploy, why not do it? Right? Not that I think it was a good game. I think it was crap. I hated watching it. I think I likened it to being fed a shit sandwich. But you're so hungry, you eat it anyway. Uh, yeah. So yeah. we've been deprived of footy for nine to ten weeks. We finally get a game back, and it's so horrible. But, but you, you watch it anyway. You watch it anyway. So it went for 94 minutes. It was too quick. Some of the other games have gone up to 20 minutes longer. So there was hardly any goals kicked, 10 for the game. And it was just one of those games where the coaches seemed like they didn't want to blink. We're playing this style. This is what we're going to do. We're going to be very defensive and see who blinks first. And no one really blinked. They just continued it down that path. It was a shit fight. I didn't like it at all. Howe, Jerry, Jeremy Howe was good. Second week in a row, still side bottom. Very solid, particularly early. Josh Dacos. Son of a legend. Have you heard of Peter Dacos? No. Well, there's some homework for you. Uh, <laughs> and he was really good as well. Showed plenty. And a young bloke named Callum Brown, I thought was close to best on ground in the first quarter. He had a chance to win the game late in the piece. They kicked inside 50. And he was running with the flight. And he could have marked this. I was watching it. I went back and watched the replay. He could have grabbed this. He elected to let it bounce. Probably thinking he can run onto it and kick for goal. But he got shut down really, really quickly and basically missed the chance to even have a, have a chance to win the game. So yeah, he got taken out of bounds by a guy named Nick Vlastwin. Vlastwin? Vlastwin? It's one of those names. You can choose your own. It's like choose your own adventure. <laughs> if you, if you uh, choose the wrong name, you die. Apparently in those books. Did you ever read one of them? Yeah. Yeah. How many times did you, did you just quickly go you back, to, go the back to the last page? Yep. I choose different this time. <laughs> So Vlaston took him over the line, siren rang, no shot at goal. You want to know about Mr. Uh, Pendleton? Yes, please. Lord Pendleton, you call him? Can we get a bit of background on why you call him Lord Pendleton? Oh, it's very complicated. He's obviously got a massive rivalry with uh, Dustin Martin, who's trying to take over the Empire. 
Mm. And um, who's his cousin? Maynard. Maynard looks like a fatter version of Bendlebury. Just not quite as refined. I think you called him slow. Yeah. (laughs) Did you? Yeah. Just looks a bit slower. (laughs) (laughs) It's like me in a meeting. Yeah. (laughs) I'm just like, what's happening? So he played really well again. Pendlebury, sometimes in, in hard conditions, the cream rises to the top. And Pendlebury just always manages to find time, always manages to find space, makes everyone around him better. And he did it again this week. A uh, bit of a criticism for Daniel Rioli. He's not doing the Rioli name proud when he plays like this. Rioli's, historically, apart from Morris Rioli, who was fantastic in the 80s, seem to flash in and out of the game. They come in, they do X, Y, Z. Then you don't see them for 10 minutes. They come back in, they play really, really, really well, do something special, and then they're gone again for a while. That's the sort of game Daniel Rioli played on Thursday night, except he didn't do anything special. Hmm. Our old friend Johnny, you know Johnny. The, I do know Johnny. The man who listens to this. He doesn't have many brains, but he tries. So he tells me that Daniel Rioli only needs five touches to perform some magic in a game. And I'm thinking, wow, he would not be getting a letter from Hogwarts based on what he did on Thursday night because there was no magic in his touches at all. They were all pretty poor. guy named Basha Hawley you like? Yes, I do. He's got a pretty impressive beard. He does, actually. He hacked it a little in this game. He kind of uh, looks like he was kicking the cobwebs out a little bit, getting back into form, but really started to find a lot of the ball once the Tigers built their wall across the middle of the ground. So what happens, right, is that Richmond will put three or four players behind the ball. So when Collingwood tries to clear it out of their defensive zone, they're met with a wall of players continually. And the last one usually back there is Basher Hall. And they, they feed it back to him, and he just has a field day back there by himself. I've heard people criticise him for playing that role. Obviously, he's being asked to play that role. Season that what he's supposed to do then yeah, if he's doing it somebody's say, told him to they say oh he he doesn't play on anybody but that's because Richmond actually worked to get him free and there's a lot of people who don't really understand why they're like oh but he doesn't pick anybody up look at this vision he's all by himself isn't that the point <laughs> well fix it if you're playing against him put someone on him and make them accountable for him but teams haven't been doing it and he makes them pay he did have six turnovers for the game. He had 26 touches, though, which is one of the best on the ground. I thought uh, the man with the wonderful hair. Who is it? Cotchin. Oh, yeah. He's got magnificent hair. He does, doesn't he? I feel like if I patted it, it'd just spring back like a sponge cake. <laughs> You'd probably eat it if it was a sponge cake. <laughs> oh, my God. He's got a big bite taken out of his hair. <laughs> so he was excellent. Not many players in the league match his attack on the footy and attack on the body of the opposition players. He might be arrested one day for something like that. Attacking bodies. Um, oh. And your other little <gasps> man... Higgins, Higgins. Talk about Henry Higgins. Jack Higgins. I'll Jack talk Higgins. about him. That's Maybe it. Henry's his dad. Kicked a couple of goals, which was great, and his return back's got a massive scar up the side of his head, mm-hmm. which, you know, some people actually get that cut into their hair sometimes to make it look like a real designated part. He's got a natural one now. He did get someone jumping into the air and knee him in the back of the head at one point, trying to take a mark, but he bounced back up. He was okay. Uh, Chris Main was the player that tried to take a scream on him. I think he might have actually put the knee right in the back of his head. But he got up, played really well. There was one incident where it was Jack Higgins took a mark. A lot of conjecture as to whether it was a mark or a point. Uh, the vision from the score review, which looks like they looks like they taped it with a Sony Handycam sometimes, <laughs> <laughs> budget cuts didn't really give a clear indication as to whether it was completed before the line or after the line it was a little bit of guesswork they said it was clearly a mark I was thinking oh I wouldn't I wouldn't bet our house on it not that it's worth that much but yeah don't be betting our house on anything no, look we could buy another one a matchbox or something yeah you know, maybe 20 bucks in our suburb cardboard, bu- cardboard <laughs> box but uh, he went back and converted that goal in a game that's a draw to have a goal that's contentious. It's a pretty big call. Anyway, after that game, kind of sat there feeling a little bit despondent. It was a rubbishy game. Didn't enjoy myself watching it. I was waiting for something to happen and nothing kept happening. It was just continual hack kicks, drop marks, fumbles, another hack kick forward. It wasn't a great spectacle. I reckon the AFL may have missed a bit of an opportunity there. 
that was the game they chose to showcase for the return. A lot of TV stations in the States, ESPN and stuff, were picking it up. Oh, dear. And that was, the, that was the game that they watched. It ended up being 36 all. Now, there were a few comparisons about AFLW scores. Ooh, all the people who suck because the scores aren't high enough. And there was a, a few AFLW players who made mention of it on Twitter. Yeah. Just saying, oh, look, restricted preseason, uh, shorter quarters, and lower scoring. Who'd have thought? So, yeah, they took the time to make a bit of a point about it. Oh, good. And good on him. Yeah, I, I can't begrudge them that. You know, they've copped a lot of shit over the years for not scoring enough. Uh, I might jump to the Hawks and Cats. So, the first quarter of this game uh, registered nine goals, one less than the entire game the night before. So, the first line of my review was like, thank you, Geelong. Thank you, Hawthorne. It kind of restored my faith a little bit. You guys know I'm a Hawks man. We got whacked in the second half. I wasn't all that disappointed. I don't think Hawthorne's midfield is looking great this year. Without Tom Mitchell at his absolute optimum. Optimum? Optimum? I can't talk. Anyway. Talk about Tom Mitchell. Talk about Tom Mitchell. Yeah, because he's... I think I only know one cat and one hawk, so talk about Tom Mitchell. Tom Mitchell's still working back from his broken leg. So he's basically automatically assumed the number one midfield role at Hawthorne again because truthfully no one else is capable of doing it. O'Meara was out but when he was given that option last year he couldn't couldn't perform in the role. Which part of his leg did he break? Tib fib so the bottom half of your leg yeah. clean break through the main bones down there so snap as in it's all wonky now and you can bend it in ways it shouldn't bend. Wow. So rush to hospital whole year out that's why he didn't win the Brownlow last year, despite your tip that he was going to win the Brownlow. It's a disgrace. You really? made you made the tip on Brownlow night. I, I do what I say. want. <laughs> you do. So he's coming along. He had 22 touches, which was the best for Hawthorne, but that is so far removed from what he's capable of doing. He played on the man in the first quarter with the puppy dog eyes. <gasps> I yes. do know another Geelong person. Selwood. Thank you. Thank you. Now, Selwood ended up being the best player on the ground. In the first quarter, he actually beat Tom Mitchell in just about every contest they had. So those two were shoulder to shoulder at every centre bounce. And I think I think Selwood had nine, nine possessions and four clearances. So a clearance is when you have a stoppage at the centre. Yep, they throw, they the throw ball it up yep. and they jump up yep. and tap it or they, grab it. Wow, but do you want to lead this now? You can just tell me some other stuff. I know all about football. You do? Yep. <laughs> so... <laughs> So Mitchell and Selwood were together. The Ruckman got up and hit it, and Selwood won four times. And, yeah, there's another five or six blokes in there as well. So Selwood was really on. Uh, I reckon he was the difference in the game. He he led by example. And I've, you know, spoken about him so many times. I both really, really like and hate Joel Selwood because, once again, he was best against my team. But, God damn, he's good. I mean, he continually steps up against Hawthorne and has made us pay so many times. The year he was drafted, he went at number seven. Hawthorne had pick six, and they passed on him. Who'd they get? Oh. <laughs> you can just hear the despair in my voice, right? <laughs> we picked a guy called Mitch Thorpe, who I think played two games. Oh, no. And then he was a key forward, and we had two key forwards at that point named Lance Franklin and Jared Roughhead. <gasps> so Ruffy! We, we opted... Not to go for Selwood, we went for a backup for those guys. And Ruffhead and Franklin were so good, we didn't need a backup for, the, for those Ruffhead guys. Ruffhead was the first player I ever thought, he's great. He's going to be the All-Australian of the Year Brownlow man. <laughs> Person Love of the it. Year? Person of the Year. Brilliant. Yeah. New award. Now, tell me about Grug. Grug. What was he up to? Because I know, I know he's a Geelong person. Grug, Grian Myers. I see in our notes, you've actually spelt Myers the same way my name is. Yep. He can't spell his name. M-I-E-R-S, he spells it. I'm pretty sure I spelled his entire name wrong. You did, yeah. actually. Grain Myers. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's Brian. It's just spelled horribly. So he kicked three goals and continually bobs up as a live wire forward. And this is the sort of thing that makes Geelong so damaging. They've got a young blo- young bloke there, young 36-year-old called Gary Ablett on one, in one forward pocket or half forward flank. I forgot about him. You forgot about him. You don't know him. 
<laughs> he looked a lot like Voldemort in a couple of instances <laughs> on Friday night where I was like, oh my God, is he going to pull his wand out here and just like, zap someone? Several commentators were calling him a little bit tubby as well. <gasps> really? Yeah, I don't think so. I think he, a little bit of bulk works for him. Uh, he was taken down in tackles a bit too easily last year for me, for mine. And this year, he just looks a bit stronger, a bit more solid. He's probably not going to run out the game and you know, be sprinting up and down the wings. But I think in, solid and strong isn't necessarily being defined. I think they were more it's... alluding to a little bit of a paunch. I mean, I got a little bit of a paunch, but I, I kind of feel I'm, it's the paunch that makes the man. <laughs> Do you? Not at all. I don't think that at all. Um, there's a bloke named Tom Stewart plays for Geelong, and in the first quarter, he played on both Sean Burgoyne and who was the other one? Jack Gunston, and between them, they kicked three goals on him. And I thought, well, oh, this second quarter is going to be a really good test for for him to see how he goes with that sort of pressure. And he responded brilliantly. After that first quarter, it was like it was just water off a duck's back or water off a cat's back even. He just went back to his normal role, was the best rebounding defender in the game, which is saying something because Hawthorne's got a bloke called James Sicily who is behind Tom Stewart. He's probably behind Jeremy Howe as well now in the, if we're ranking, you know, rebounding defenders. Sicily could be anything. Stewart already is the player that Sicily should probably be. So he was tailed up in the first quarter, fought back brilliantly, and was fantastic. Another bloke called Mitch Duncan, who I suppose I've been a little bit critical of in the past. I don't think he does enough. So they plonked him on the wing, and he was fantastic. He played on high-quality opponents in Isaac Smith and Tom Scully. Throw in Ricky Henderson as well, and he was better than all three put together for the whole game. Really worked hard forward, worked hard back. Just all over the park was just a fantastic contributor and one last bloke who I reckon looks like Merman from the Masters of the Universe who? his name's Brandon Parfit he's got these big eyes that kind of poke out <laughs> and he's um, <laughs> he was moved to the wing at one point and I was like why are, they, why are they taking him out of the action what's Chris Scott doing he had 19 touches laid 10 tackles and had 8 clearances which was an equal game high with Joel Selwood he was a monster in this game and I thought he'd have a breakout season last year probably 12 months 12 months early he was brilliant in this game didn't make the team in round one so it's obviously stung him a little bit and he's come out you know in round two and really flexed his muscles then again against the Hawthorne midfield you don't have to flex too many muscles they're they're pretty thin if Mitchell doesn't perform they fall away pretty quick the guy who won our best and fairest last year James Warple barely touched it after halftime couldn't get near it and his stock in trade was winning hardball last year so very disappointing. We'll move on to the Demons and the Blues. Because there um, there was a, a first quarter there that it looked like looked like Melbourne were going to win by 100 points. They jumped out. I think it was... Look, I might be a little bit wrong here. I'm going from memory. 30 to 1 or something like that. It was just an obliteration. They had, uh, had guys winning all over the park. Max Gorn was obviously the dominant player on the ground at that point. He was taking marks, winning rack taps, giving his midfielders first possession. They were dominating the clearances. They were doing everything. They had guys running forward, kicking goals from you know, half forward, from the wing. They just looked like, looked like a million bucks. They ended up winning by one point. So I don't know what happened here. Whether they put the cue in the rack, whether they changed the way they were playing, whether Carlton actually thought, shit, we better pull our finger out here. We're being embarrassed. So I was watching that game... I was kind of half watching it. I was more watching it for the matchup between Clayton Oliver and Patrick Cripps because I think Clayton Oliver is one of the most underrated players in the league at the moment. He's a couple of years younger than Cripps, but he's one of three men to ever get 400 contested touches in a season. That's something Cripps hasn't done. Only Josh Kennedy at Sydney and Patrick Dangerfield have ever done it, and Clayton Oliver did it when he was about 20 years old. He was a bit quieter last year, but I thought, oh, he's matching up with Cripps on this one. I'm going to watch this matchup for the whole whole game. And I thought Oliver actually beat Cripps, hands down, for the first three and a half quarters until they moved Cripps forward in the last quarter. So Cripps is six foot four. He's a big guy, he's strong, and no midfielder can match him in the air. If he jumps and extends his hands above his head, 
He's that big and strong. He's going to mark it. So he went forward, took two big contested marks in the last quarter, missed one of the goals, and he missed one earlier in the game too, but he did kick one to get him right back in it. I think it might have even drew him within a goal or something at that point. Clayton Oliver, I think, had 28 touches for the for the game. Just continually found the ball, linked up, was brilliant all day. But I think what we're going to hear more of is how Cripps took over the, the game late and dragged drag Carlton back into it Oliver was involved all day long and won't really get as much of the credit but he was fantastic and really restricted Cripps influence for most of the day halfway through this game I asked you because Cripps just looked I I know who he is he looked miserable I mean he just looked so in despair and I asked well is he going to leave who are they Carlton well, and you said, no, he's not allowed because he's the <laughs> captain. It's happened before. That's very sad. It's happened before. They've built this team around him, and why the hell not? He's absolutely well, fantastic. Have they built much of a team? Well, that's or the thing. Or are they just getting smashed? It's interesting. You know, we were in a, the, the writers at the Mungrel Punt have a bit of a chat. And in that chat, we have Gab Rossi. Gab Rossi, big Carlton fan. And he was actually questioning whether Carlton can actually build players. So they recruit this talent, they pinch him from other teams. Well, not pinch him, they basically get him over from other teams. Or they draft them, and then they kind of stagnate. They don't really Make get any better. Yeah, so he's openly questioning, hey, do we actually know how to develop these kids? It might be a bit too soon for this crop of kids to kind of lay blame it at their development, but I can see where he's coming from because they've had people come through who have... You know, oh, this guy's going to be this, going to be that. They end up being gunners, and that's about it. They never really go on to anything. Cripps is incredible. Their co-captain, Sam Doherty's coming back from two knee reconstructions, and he was good again. Sam Walsh looks like he's turned, in, turned into a permanent wingman this year. So I watched him pretty intently as well, and he started outside the square all the time. He's still missing targets with his foot all the time, just can't hit targets. Can't, uh, they had a guy called Sam Petresky seaton who they've got big wraps on. He played off half-back, and he was suspect early in the game too. I'm like, oh, gosh, I, I don't know what, what's going to happen at Carlton, but 0-2 in a 17-game season, you don't want to say put a line through them, but it doesn't look like they're going to be playing finals, and a lot of people said they're going to make a charge for it this year. Eddie Betts was back at Carlton, kicked the goal late in the piece, was pretty much silent for the whole game. He's lacking that little bit of zip that he had three, four years ago, maybe even two years ago, that made him special. And what we see in Brisbane right now with Charlie Cameron is what Eddie Betts once was. I hope he has a couple of really good games, kicks a few goals when crowds are back, gives people a bit to cheer about. But this is a, it's almost like a retirement tour for him, I think. Come on back, wave to the fans, get them pumped up when you kick a goal and then wander off into retirement because he's... I don't think he can keep it up at this level. Now, I want you to talk about the man with the big thighs. Who, me? You have significant thighs. I have calves. They're excellent. I have good calves. Well, I think you, you're you talking... haven't been walking much lately. Well, I've been sitting around a lot. <laughs> I, I have been eating more. <laughs> it's going to you. It's all going to my calves. Yeah, that's where I store it. <laughs> Stored energy. So you're talking about Petrarca? Yep. He started the game like an absolute monster. He had 10 touches early and kicked the goal in the first quarter. And I reckon it was his goal, what was it, late in the second quarter, I think, that probably put enough distance between Melbourne and Carlton for Melbourne to hold on. So it was about 55 metres out. There was a lead on. He just thought, bugger this, I'm going over their heads. Kick long, roll through for a goal. Kind of stopped the momentum at that point of Carlton. And, uh, look, people have been saying he's arriving for years. Oh, Petrarca's going to be this, he's going to be that. He shows a lot in flashes, but he's never put together. He doesn't flash. <laughs> look, I don't, I'm not with him all the time. I don't know what he does in his spare time. But he doesn't flash when he's on the field. But he does flash okay. in and out when he's there. He showed enough yesterday that you're thinking, oh, he's, he's, he might be ready, finally. He had a knee reconstruction, I think, in his second year. Everybody has a knee reconstruction. You've had, like, eight. I've had two. Yeah. So, 
so yeah i'm a bit of a sad man but uh well once you get to uh you know your mid-40s those knee reconstructions come back to haunt you when you're doing things like standing <laughs> um, walking is a big one walking sitting down changing eh. direction changing directions out the window you have to go on a big big loop <laughs> you have to walk the arc in order to go back so much to look forward to you do hopefully you don't have a knee reconstruction in your future mm. um i don't think this should have been this close melbourne went into their shell at one point they threw max gorn behind the ball so made him, made him play in defense and yeah he, he broke up a couple of offensive forays but it also made the carlton ruckman mark pitanet i don't know if it's pitanet or pitanet but it's one of those two names you can call him whichever one you like marky mark marky mark pitanet uh made him actually look good and i've never seen him look good before so he was playing at hawthorne prior to this it was our third ruckman and moved across to carlton for more opportunity obviously he got it and actually looked really good but when he was matched up against gorn didn't look the same so I think that might have been a bit of a downvote there for Simon Goodwin, Melbourne coach. Uh, maybe made a couple of mistakes in this game. Watch the Lions and the Dockers, which is always lovely because uh, well, it's not always lovely actually. I don't know what I'm saying that for. <laughs> but footy's footy at the moment. I'll take You're what just I can happy get. Happy with anything. I am happy with most things. And uh, the Dockers came with a late surge again and fell just short for the second round in a row, albeit 10 weeks in between. They made a massive comeback against Essendon in round one and lost by a goal. They were pretty close to winning this one as well. And I think someone kicked the goal pretty pretty much close to the siren and Brisbane won by two goals. Let's talk uh, about uh, what Nips Out did. Nips Out Nat 5. I mean, I mean, you know, breaking, well, you know, not breaking quarantine. But he kind of just danced around the edges of it with his little, uh, going for a surf. No, he was clear to that. Was he? No, he was okay. He was okay. Apparently he was delivering stuff. Like, he, he drives trucks and stuff for his family. Yep. When they were in quarantine, because they're too cheap to hire someone. <laughs> <laughs> Possibly, I don't know. It's, it's a few bucks saved. Too, wait, too cheap to hire someone. So they get Which is why you it. have your wife on a football podcast. Oh, you're here for your knowledge. <laughs> And your sparkling repartee, yep. which yep. will be coming soon, I hope. <laughs> so he was he was great in this one. Nat Five was pretty pretty subdued in the first quarter, and they're actually making mention of it on the on the commentary that he wasn't really all that involved, was struggling to get involved. He ended up with the fourth most touches on the ground, kicked three goals, took contested marks. It, it's not a bad not a bad result when you. Yeah, have people saying, oh, gee, so-and-so's been quiet all day. You look at the stat sheet, and they're like, oh, he almost was the match winner. So he would have been the top handful of blokes on the ground again, despite being slow off the, off the mark. Your other, other person you want to talk about? Charlie Cameron. He looks friendly. I <laughs> like his face. Go for it. Well, that's all I had written down about him, actually. <laughs> Just that, you know, people tend to like his face, and he looks really friendly. That's why they let him there kick a go. lot of goals. He had four goals halfway through the second quarter. I think he missed one as well. He could have just really put this game on ice. They shifted a guy called Griffin Logue. Great name. That is a great, great I, name. I reckon he'd be great in one of those Choose Your Adventure stories. Your name is Griffin Logue. You have a sword. You need to slam it into he this... He should become a blacksmith. Forget his career. Just A blacksmith? Yeah. That's a shit job. You know how hard that would be? Yeah, but he could just look really tough and... and make and a good just sign. Like Griffin, Griffin Logue, Logue blacksmith. blacksmith. See? Yep. Coming yeah, around. Right. So he was moved on to him after halftime and did a really good job of, of stopping Charlie Cameron after that. Still, four goals from a small forward. Pretty, pretty, pretty good. There was a matchup I really enjoyed watching. It was Harris Andrews, who's the All-Australian fullback. You're just making a face like, who? I've never heard of this guy. I haven't. Well, now you have. And another guy called Matthew Tabiner. And Matthew Tabiner, I think... At one point last year, was leading the league in contested marks. Beautiful pair of hands, really big dude, so hard to spoil. And they were they played one on one for the whole game basically. And I was watching the way Tabiner played against Andrews, and early on Andrews was all over him. Every contest he'd be coming over the top, or actually he was taking front spot and spoiling. And to Fremantle's credit, they realised that there's going to be space out the back. Andrews wants to come and impact the contest, if. 
Tabata can lead back towards goals, he's going to get out the back. So he kicked two goals running out the back. It was very Josh Jenkins-like. And he was highly criticised in Adelaide for being a player who didn't take contested marks, got a lot of goals running back towards goal. And I thought, this is actually really smart by him because he's taking away one of Brisbane's main weapons, which is Harris Andrews coming in and killing a contest. And he's basically turning it around and making them, making Harris Andrews trailing back. At the start of the last quarter, he took a mark in the goal square and Andrews somehow bumbled his way into him because he, he didn't mean to spoil this. But Tabana obviously had control of the ball, brought the ball down, then it hit like Andrews' elbow or something and bounced out of his hands and went through for a point. And the umpire said it wasn't a mark. Fremantle fans in general hate this umpire. His name's Dean Margetts. They reckon he barracks for West Coast. They reckon he hates Fremantle. And statistically, I read something on Twitter that in games that Dean Margetts has umpired, Fremantle have won 7% of the time. (laughs) And then as soon as this decision was made, Fremantle fans just erupted. F and Margetts again, you know, ripping it off us. And in all honesty, that sort of thing rips away momentum from a team. So a certain mark in the goal square would have been a certain goal. Not even Tabiner can miss from that that kind of distance. He would have went back, kicked the goal, got him off and running. As it stands, Michael Walters was brilliant, kicked a couple of goals late to really drag him back into it. But I kind of felt for, for Fremantle there. They looked like they were getting right back into the game and then to have that ripped away from him, I was, I was a little bit disappointed. And I don't even barrack for him, but I was like, they're like West Coast little brother, you know? <laughs> no. Yeah. yeah, you never want to see your friend's little brother get roughed up. Yeah, and they did. They really got roughed up. The move of James H to the wing, he was a, he was at Collingwood last year and played primarily in defence. They moved him to the wing at Fremantle. He had 26 touches yesterday, loving the freedom out there. For Brisbane, I'm not really sold on him unless they get improvement from two guys. So there's a guy called Daniel McStay. And he McStayed it full forward and did bugger all for most of the game. Another guy called Eric Hipwood, who someone took offense. Yeah, yeah. He looks like a male model. He really does. And I think I commented the other day that he kind of looks like a moderately attractive woman. Yep, yep. Uh, I got a bit of blowback from some Brisbane supporters on that, guys. I'm just having a joke. I'm just having a joke. Look, you think about it. You look like a really ugly woman. I like to think I have a good side. I'm thinking that, like, if you were out one night and Eric Hipwood was at the bar, you kind of sauntered up and saw him at the corner of your eye, you'd have to do a double take. You're like, hey, that girl looks pretty. Oh, hey, dude. How That's are how you? I got you. You just plug me with alcohol and the rest <laughs> is history. I suppose Cam Rayner hit double figures in this one, uh, which he failed to do multiple times last year. I think it's a little sad that he gets 10 touches and I think... Wow, he did okay this week. He's a number one pick and should be doing a lot more than what he's doing at the moment. They've got the Eagles this week. This week coming anyway. And it'll give us a great indication as to where each of these teams are at. They're, uh, they haven't been impressive up till now. And the Eagles losing to the Suns, well, they need to redeem themselves pretty quick. All right, Giants and North. I just come off watching this before we wandered into our... Uh, podcast studio which we have under a loft bed (laughs) no expense spared at the mongrel punt it's a bit depressing so you have a a couple of questions about some players in this one i believe oh our favorite our eternal favorite because he took his mum to the brown low what a cutie pie toby green well toby green was in the process of uh rebuilding his image i reckon in this off season or this break he's done the the big freeze slide went down there and you know was dressed as a as the karate kid which i thought was a nice touch would have been better if he kicked one of the helpers in the head or something on the way down but (laughs) he was beaten today soundly uh beaten by a guy named luke mcdonald was given the job on him and i think halfway through the third quarter green had three kicks a few handballs but yeah had, had one touched on the line in probably the closest goal review decisions i've ever seen it actually was 
touched between frames. So you got hundreds of a second, and the actual touch of the ball seemed to appear between one frame and the next. I saw that one. Yeah, it was it was perilously close. So they went with the umpire's decision. He said it was touched, even though he didn't look in the greatest position to call it. And they said there wasn't enough evidence to overturn it. So he was beaten on the day. I mean, they kicked that goal. Who knows what happens? But they didn't. Bad luck for you, Toby. Mm-hmm. See you next week. And Cunnington. Yeah, you like this name because it's like a swear word. Hilarious. I love it. It's great. I want to talk about this a little bit. He started with a guy named Matt DeBoer on him. Now, Matt DeBoer, best stopper in the league. And in the first quarter, I think Cunnington had one touch. Right? So, obviously doing the job. DeBoer can play him really, really well. And North Melbourne started a guy called Sean Higgins at half forward to avoid DeBoer going to him. At quarter time, they moved Higgins back into the middle and DeBoer switched from Cunnington over to over to um, Higgins. And at that point, not like Cunnington got off the chain, he ended up with 21 touches, but he had 16 in the second half. Matt DeBoer had form. He's proven that he can stop Cunnington. I don't know why they switched him off onto Higgins, who's more of a runner and less of a contested ball beast. DeBoer was doing a great job on Cunnington and probably should have continued and here's the you know hindsight oh, I should have could have didn't but I think this is a bit of a knock on Leon Cameron he was out coached on this one he made a poor move he decided to take what was working and switch it to something else to try and stop he tried to stop bleeding that wasn't yet happening Higgins couldn't get into it in the first quarter he had two touches and he thought oh go if Higgins comes into the middle DeBoer you go to him leave Cunnington alone what, we happen, what happened in the end is Higgins had 28 touches, I think, for the game, and Cunnington had 21. So they both got involved, and the ball was ineffective. And it's the first time I've seen him, without being injured like he was in the grand final, rendered completely ineffective. The ball. The ball. Yeah, yeah, you love him. I don't love him, but I respect him. Yeah. That's what I say about everyone. <laughs> <laughs> uh, bloke named Cam Zerha was out without his partner in crime, Nick Larkey, for North, and... He just hits the hits the pack like he hates it. He runs hard. He hits people with his body. He got beautiful clean hands. He kicked three goals in this game again. And I'm like, he's he was a late pickup. He wasn't like a high draft pick or anything, but he's been fantastic for North, and they've really found something in him. Jared Polek, I think, will probably go close to winning their best and fairest this year. He was recruited last year, and he's taken probably 12 months or probably the second half of last year. He started to hit his straps with North and this year he just looks like he's he's gelled with that team gets the ball gets onto his left foot more often although he did make a beautiful little right foot no little left foot outside of his body kick when he was on the wrong side to set up a goal late in the game and a lot of, a lot of the commentators were talking about Goldstein versus Sam Jacobs Todd Todd the Todd the Todd excellent the Todd well and truly won his battle against Jacobs. He had nine clearances himself, which was best on the ground by a long, long stretch. He kicked the goal late, took the ball out of the ruck, snapped the goal, gave North a bit of breathing space. He was he was fantastic in this one. But the Giants, a little bit to be concerned about. Lockie Whitfield started brilliantly. I think he had nine touches in the first quarter. He had 11. No, he had seven in the first quarter, and he had 11 after quarter time. Josh Kelly only had 10 after quarter time. He looks less like a Ferrari every week and more like a broken down old Volkswagen. I don't know what's happened. Happens to the best of us. This guy's like 24 or something. He should be in his prime. That's unfortunate. He he played like, yeah, he he didn't look like it today. He just, actually a lot of GWS midfielders didn't look right. But someone of his skill and his ability should be getting more than what he did. I think he had 17 touches for the game or something. Pretty poor. Zach Williams couldn't hit the side of a barn all day. Just missed targets left, right, and center by foot and by hand. And as I said before, Higgins was great. 22, 26 touches after the first quarter. So he just kept racking them up the whole game. Wasn't sure whether this was really good coaching from Shaw in this game or really poor from Leon Cameron. But North Melbourne are 2-0 now. And uh, we'll be up towards the pointy end of the ladder after this, after this round of footy. And I just want to point out that I was big on North Melbourne before the season started, and a lot of you people said I was an idiot. 
Not because of that, just because you thought I was an idiot. But they're going to be all right this year. They're going to do really well. I'd like to live in North Melbourne. Didn't you say it was crap before? No, I'm just angry because we can't afford to live in North Melbourne. (laughs) Maybe one day. I'm salty against them. Maybe one day. Mm. So at the time of recording, we've got uh, three, four games left to cover. I think we've got the showdown in, in South Australia. We've got Sydney and Essendon. And we've got St Kilda and the Western Bulldogs to cover yet. Unfortunately, I haven't watched those games yet. So if I was to talk about them, I'd just be here talking absolute shit, which is not too far removed (laughs) from where we are usually. But I'd prefer to have some semblance of what I'm talking about. So over the next 24 hours or so, I'm going to cast my eye over those games. Mrs Mungrel, you are more than welcome to sit down and absorb all the intricacies of these games. I'm I'm good, thanks though. You just got a few questions to ask about specific players, maybe? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, throw it in there. Arms McKenzie might make an appearance. No, he's a disappointment this season. Yes. I've seen him. In big news, Mrs. Mungrel saw Taylor Adams on Friday Friday night? No, Thursday night, and was very disappointed in the definition on his arms until he turned around the other way to the side the black tape wasn't on his arms, and she thought, oh no, there's the definition. All of a sudden, he's back in the good books. I so, don't remember any of this. <laughs> no, well, you were probably drugged up on Voltaren. <laughs> So we're going to leave it there for today and we'll be back in the next 24 hours or so with part two of this podcast where we'll cover those other three games and possibly the winners and losers of this round individually because we already know who the winners and losers are. I want to know which players were the massive losers. Love it. The biggest loser. Plenty of them. Plenty of losers around. All right. We'll catch you soon. Thank you.